God created us to make an impact in this world. When I think about Palm Sunday, I believe that Palm Sunday is a symbol of influence. And the reason why I say that is because the way Jesus came into the city, it was evidence that Jesus had a tremendous influence through what it was that he did. All of us are to have influence, and we need to ask ourselves or look at ourselves and see what type of influence that we're having. This weekend, uh, Jennifer and I were watching a, a program, and it's called Beyond the Spotlight, and it spotlights different people in pop culture, movie stars, uh, athletes, who are just these incredible people who are at the height of their game or their profession, have done so much, made gazillions of dollars. But it talks about how they became who they are and how they grew up, their family environment, what steps they took to get where they are. But really the major impact of it is what they do when they're not in the spotlight and how they're engaged in bringing positive change and influence in the world. One of those that we watched was on Shaquille O'Neal. Y'all, dude is a monster, all right? Uh, but he, I mean, it's just so interesting hearing about how he uh, grew up, as his stepdad, his mom, how at the beginning they thought he was a terrible athlete. The people are just like, really? I mean, seriously? And how he became who he became. But what was so impactful for him was he would go to the Boys and Girls Club just about every day and that's where he would find friends and do all of these things and learn sports and other uh, got engaged in other activities while he was there. And it was so important to him that now someone who is so successful throughout his life, when he's not in the spotlight, he likes to invest in time, his time with the Boys and Girls Club. And many of you don't even may not even know. I didn't know that he did all of this. He's, he's known as Shaka Claus. How's that sound? And does all this incredible, spends thousands of dollars to do this. And it's incredible. You know what that's called? That's called influence. And as I was watching it, I was thinking about, you know, if a camera crew came and wanted to do a story on me about my life and how I became who I have become, what would that story be like, especially as they covered my life not in the spotlight? I mean, what I'm doing when it's not about my profession or when it's not about people seeing what I do, what would that be like? What would they be able to say or to do a program on? You know, as a minister, it's really easy to get caught into this whole thing of, and of course, our life as, as pastors, as ministers, and a professional who are in this as a profession, you know, this is what we do, that we're consumed with this. But it's so easy for us many times for it to become this work thing for us. And when we have opportunities when it's not work, it's like, okay, what are we doing just because we just want to do it? Hopefully we want to do our work because we want to do it. But many times the evidence of that is just what are we doing when we don't have the expectations of church life or work life or whatever? And I started thinking about that. Man, what would that program be like beyond the spotlight? And I didn't like what I was thinking about. I didn't because there are so many missed opportunities, I believe, that God gives me that I'm not engaged in that really I should be. You know, my life could be a better influence. I know that about myself. Yes, I have influence. I get that. And I know that, me, and y'all, this isn't about me. I know that many times it's kind of like spotlight because you're on a stage or whatever, but this is just life. 
You know, what am I doing? Just out of a tremendous passion, what is it that I'm doing? Sure, there are things that I do for God, but what is it that I could do to be influencing Him? And what would be keeping me from doing those things if I'm not out there passionately doing that? Yeah, it's all personal for us. Jesus is our example of somebody who is a person of influence. The reason why, again, that Palm Sunday is a symbol of this is because he came into the city and these people were waving palms and throwing their cloaks on the ground for the donkey to come with him on its back into this city because of what he had been doing. He wasn't this fresh guy that's like, hey, yeah, this guy's going to be king, let's throw him a party. That's not the way it was. He had been out there living. He had been out there sharing the message with people that God loves them. He was out there sharing with them that God had a purpose for their life, that God wanted them to have meaning and joy in their life, that, that not only were they loved, but he showed them that they were loved because he invested in them. He gave of himself for them. He made sacrifices for them. He did miracles. He served. He spent time with them. All of this was influence. So when I see a palm frond, that's what I think about when I see a palm frond. Influence. Y'all, we ought to be reminded about influence a lot in the state of Florida, should we not? But that's what it reminds me of. And I want to talk to you about that today, about not only is influence, but why we become people like that. Now, on your outline sheet, you see there are, I think, six statements on there. I'm not going to make it through all of those. Uh, just, again, so you don't freak out toward the end. It's like, please, when is he going to stop? All right, so anyway, just know that. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to stop, just to keep you on edge. Don't you think? I think that'll be fun to do it that way. But I want to share with you those things. So let, let me set the stage for the scripture that we're about to read. There was Palm Sunday, but then there was another time that the Jewish people would celebrate, and it was called the time of the Feast of the Tabernacle. And during the Feast of the Tabernacle, they would celebrate the people of Israel leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. And we know that one of the things that happened on that journey is that God would guide them at night by a flame in the sky, right? So he would guide them that way. They would follow this light, this flame. So what they would do during the Feast of the Tabernacle is they would have a torch parade. They would carry around torches, and that torch was a reminder that God guided them through the night, that God guided them to the promised land. Isn't that cool? So when Jesus shared this word that I'm about to tell you, it was in that environment without under, that understanding of, because he called himself the light. And when he called himself the light, he was telling us, hey, see that torch out there? You've got this parade? I'm that light. I am the light to the world. Basically, he's the light to the world that would guide us to the promised land. Jesus came to shed a light on what we're to live for and how we're to live and that God loves us. Listen to what the scripture says. John 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Well, Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. 
There was plenty of evidence that uh, people could see that, that Jesus was of God because of the miracles that he did, because of what it was that he was doing. And these Pharisees were trying to think of every reason in the world not to believe in him. But here Jesus was this person who was somebody doing these incredible things. And I know that he was already doing it because people were following him. His influence was already there. And people were, again, walking with him and listening to him and wanting to hear from him. It was all about influence. So what is that? Let's get practical really quick and let's learn what influence is. First of all, we see that influence simply is power. It's power. It's the power to do things. It has the power to change things. It has the power to change direction. As we look at our sheet, we can see a definition of the word influence. It's this is the power, again, influence is power, to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the behavior and opinions of others. One of my favorite definitions of the word leadership was given by John Maxwell, who's a pastor, leadership guru, he's written a gazillion books on leadership, and he simply defines leadership this way, with this one word, influence, that leadership is influence. And you can see why he would say that through that definition. It's the power to be a compelling force or to produce effects on the behavior and opinions of others. It's about what we do for other people. It's how what we do affects other people. It affects their behavior. It affects their opinions. It affects the direction in which they go. Why? Because there's a compelling force. I want you to think about that word force and what a force is for a minute. First of all, uh, there are different types of forces. First of all, there's a, the physical force. A physical force would be uh, like me being out on the road and somebody's car stops and they need help pushing the car off the road. And because I'm such a big giant like Shaq, they would want me to help. All right. So I get out of my car and I start pushing the car. It's a physical force. I physically am a physical being, push a physical object and that object moves. All right. That's a physical force. But then there are other types of forces, and I want to call this a compelling force. In fact, that's what it says in this definition, the power to be a compelling force. Another way that we could think of a compelling force would be to call it a convincing force. We're compelled to move. Something, not something physical isn't pushing us. Something else is compelling us or convincing us to move. There are a couple of other forces out there that compel us or convince us to move. And let me give you uh, the two that I can think of immediately that have the most impact. One compelling force is words. Words are a compelling force. Now, words can be used in different ways. One is words can be used as a threat. So, uh, you do this or you're going to be punished, or you do this or you're going to be in danger, whatever it is. There's a threat there, and those words are used as a threat, and it compels us because we don't want to be in trouble or we don't want to be in danger. It's, it's a compelling force. But there's not only words that are a threat, but there are also words that are words of hope. Words of hope are words that tell us that we can get what it is that we're looking for. All of us are looking for the same thing. We talk about this all the time around here. We're all looking for love. Some people are looking in all the wrong places. It should be an awesome song, should it not? 
But all of us are looking for love. So people use their words to tell them where they can find love. Now, some people tell people the reality of where they can find love from God. Other people say you can find love by doing this for yourself or that for yourself or whatever, okay? But we can use our words to give people hope. And the reason why I say hope is because we have the hope of getting what we're looking for. All of us are looking for love. Now, what is super compelling. What causes this force to be even a greater force is when another force is connected to it. Words and actions. Actions are a compelling force. They're a convincing force. So I say you can have hope because, you know, you can find love. But if I put words behind that and say, hey, God loves you, you can experience love in your life. And then I love you. What happens is this is another compelling force. My words and actions, they go together and they encourage movement. They encourage change. In fact, they can be such a compelling force that it can cause them to even change their opinions. Number two on your outline sheet. Let's fill it in. Influence is not only power, all right? These compelling forces, my words and actions, compel people in certain directions. But because of what I say and because of what I do, it can lead people to have different opinions about certain things. Opinion is super important because opinion, our opinions and beliefs go together. In fact, you can almost use these interchangeably in some ways. We might say this, my opinion is, or we can say this, my belief is. Same thing, right? My opinion is, my belief is, we can use them in the same kind of context. So what happens is, is I had this opinion, but my opinion changed because of the compelling force of that person that led me to change my opinion. Let me put it this way. Because of the influence of that person to change my opinion. Because of what they said and what they were doing, I used to live this way, But now I'm beginning to believe that this way is not the way that I should live. Because I'm seeing this other person and they have something, the thing that I've been looking for. I'm looking for love, right? And when I find love, I'm going to find joy. This is the thing about opinion. The reason why opinion changes is because really the actions, we've heard now, actions speak louder than words. Y'all have heard that a million times before. Well, these actions and opinions go together. Let me explain it this way. Okay, there are different types of action. Let's just, there's action and there's reaction. So I look at somebody's behavior and I, I look at how, not only listen to what they say, but I, I look at how they live. And I see there's one person who lives for things of the world. They're trying to gain different things. They're trying, it's the human standards that Jesus talked about in the scripture we just read a minute ago. The standard is the more you get, the happier you're going to be, all of that kind of, if the more attention you get, the happier you're going to be, all of those kind of things, all right? So they live for that. And they look at that person and say, well, you know, sometimes they look happy, but sometimes they don't look happy. They don't look happy. Then you look at another person and say, there's this other person who's not trying to get things for himself, but they're constantly doing things for other people, and they just seem so happy. They just have joy in their life. And it's weird because they're not, doing, they're not worried about getting all this stuff or getting fame, whatever, right? Some of them have it, Shaquille, or some other people, right? Whatever. They're not out there living to get all this stuff. They're helping other people 
And they're so happy. They're so joyful all the time. That's what I've been looking for. That's what I want. So that action can easily or, or lead me to change my opinion because I, I was doing what a lot of these other people were doing to try to be happy. And sometimes I was happy and sometimes I'm, I, I wasn't. But now I'm looking at that person and they're just consistently happy. They consistently have joy in my life. So now my opinion begins to change of, well, maybe that is not the right type of lifestyle because that's the type of life that I want to have right there. That's what I want to experience in my life. There's another thing, though. There's action and reaction. There's the other, this changes our opinion. Because often, this is, happens to me a lot, I am controlled by my circumstances. So if things are going well, I feel good. Man, things are, hey, it's copacetic, it's awesome, all right? Wonderful. But if things are bad, life is terrible. My emotions are a mess, right? I'm just depressed, discouraged, stressed, whatever, anxious, whatever it is, this stuff is happening in my life. But then you look at this other person and say, man, there are some really bad things that have happened to that person, and they're still joyful. Their reaction to bad stuff is not to be controlled by the bad stuff and become discouraged. Their reaction to bad stuff is to still be joyful. That's what I want. I don't want to be the person who is living on the roller coaster all the time, up and down, up and down, up and down because of all these things that are happening. I want to have this consistency of my life. Enter Jesus. Right? When you look at his life, the influence of his life... I mean, he said what he said, but he was constantly having joy because his life was all about investing in the lives of other people, but speaking the truth to them, showing love to them, spending time with people that other people didn't want to because they were considered to be evil people, doing miracles uh, to heal people, doing miracles to feed people, doing all of these things. He had joy in his life because that's what his life was about. Man, I want that kind of life. And there he was on the cross. And I would say being on the cross is a pretty low moment of life. Wouldn't you say? But what did he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He didn't say that of anger. He didn't say that because he was being controlled by his circumstances. He felt for those people because they were missing what he had. Up on the cross the most difficult thing that he can go through. And here this man is who still has joy in his life. That's Jesus. That's influence. And that's the type of life that changes people's opinions. But will my life change somebody's opinion? See, I don't want to get personal about it because it's not fun to get personal about it. But I have to get personal about it. Am I that person who's leading people to change their opinion about what they should live for? Am I that person who's giving the example that, yeah, it's important to go serve people. I'm not having to do it because I'm made to do it or expected to do it. I'm just out there because I want to do it, because I want to invest my life in other people. Am I that person who's living with joy because my investment is in them? Am I that person who isn't controlled by the stuff, the hard things that are happening in my life that can maintain my joy in my life? Am I that person? Am I influencing people to change their opinion in the right way? I talked about force a minute ago, and there's another kind of force, actually. There's a compelling force to lead people to change their opinion. There's also a repelling force. 
that pushes people away from God. Then I have to look at myself and say, okay, am I a compelling force toward God to change people's opinion? Or am I repelling people away from God because I'm not, I don't have what other people really would want in their life? This is huge, is it not? There's a third thing that we can learn about this. That influence affects who we follow. So I look at that person. That's, I look at them and say, that's the way I want to live. And because I, that's the way I want to live, I'm going to listen to them because I want to live, I, I, I live that way. And because I want to listen to them, I follow them. We hear the word follow in the scripture, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows, for them to follow, there had to be influence somehow that led them to follow. Okay? So whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What we know is, is that we're all following. I talked about this last week quite a bit, that a follower has a name. They're called a disciple. I gave you the definition of that last week. I'll give it to you again this week, that a disciple is a pupil or a follower of any teacher or school. So it's a school of thought. This person's teaching me a certain school of thought. This person either, is either going to teach me the truth or they're going to teach me a lie. If I follow this teaching, I'm either going to feel good or I'm going to feel bad. Now, what Jesus said is this. If you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness. You're going to have the light of life. In other words, the, the way I take that for me personally, maybe it's because of my struggles that I've had in my own personal life, it, it just means this to me. That means if I follow Jesus, I'm not going to walk around depressed and discouraged, bummed out all the time in my life in darkness. I'm going to live in the light of life. I'm going to feel alive. So how is it that I live that life? I have to find the truth. Jesus, as the teacher, as the leader, he wanted them to understand, look, you guys, you're, there are two people talking to you. There's somebody who's telling you a lie, and there's somebody who's telling you the truth. Later on in the same scripture, and again, I read this to you last week, but it connects here. In John chapter 8, I've just been reading John 8, 12. Further down in verse 44, it says this, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Listen to this. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. In other words, he's a liar. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen to this. Yet because I tell the truth. So what's the truth? I have to find what is the truth, what is the way of life that really, that if I follow, I'm really going to find this sense of joy in my life. This is what we learned about this last week, that there are two different schools of thought. The Jesus truth school of thought is this, it's simply this. This is what we learned, remember this, the courses that we learned last week. We learned this, that God loves me. That's the truth. Here's another truth. I'm to love God. Y'all, this is an easy one. Because God loves me and he loves me the way he loves me, it's easy for me to love God back. In fact, I should love God if he was willing to sacrifice and give his son for me, right? God loves me. I am to love God. And how do I show that love, love of God? I am to love others. I am to love others. That is the school of thought 
That is the way I'm to live, and my teacher gives me the example of how to do it. And that's Jesus. But what's the other school of thought? Because remember, there are other people who live by human standards. We read that in the original scripture just a moment ago. Those people who live by human standards. Well, the human standard is this. I am my own God. I am to love myself. I'm to put myself before other people. That's the other standard. That's the other school of thought. So what do we do? We become disciples of people who live that out. They don't rely on God. They don't rely on other people. They rely on what it is that they can do and control, and they always put themselves before other people. That's who we follow. That's a lie. That's not the truth. Well, Jesus, we want to follow him because Jesus had joy and maintained joy through all of this and lived according to those truths and followed those truths. But I've got to take a time out again and just get personal for me and say, what school am I a teacher for? Am I influencing people? If people are listening to my teaching and Are they following somebody who's putting himself before other people, who's not relying on God, who's not investing themselves in other people? Is that who I am? Y'all have become so personal again. It's so personal. Because you see, influence isn't just about Jesus. Again, we are compelling or repelling forces. And I have to see, where am I leading people? Well, it all has to do with our behavior, number four on your sheet. And by the way, this will be the last number I will share with you today. Mystery solved, okay? Number four, influence affects behavior. I want to go back to the definition of the word influence I shared with you. Influence is the power to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the behavior and opinions of others. We just learned the opinion part of that. That's where all that came from. It's the definition, the opinion part of it. What do we teach? What do we follow? But the behavior part of it. See, there are different types of behaviors. My question is, well, who do I follow? Or how can I know who I'm following? How can I know the type of influence that I'm being and who I'm influencing for? Am I compelling or or repelling? Okay, it's an important question. Well, my behaviors give it away. And there are different types of behaviors. And I want to talk about these four because it's really cool. First of all, here's a behavior that many times we don't talk about. It's called mannerisms. On your outline sheet, I want you to put this down. Our mannerisms, and this is what they do. They give away our attitudes. Our mannerisms, are it's our body language. It's what our body language, our, 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 our actions speak, you know, words, whatever, but... How it is that we respond to things with our body really says something about what we believe or how we feel about other people. I mean, you can just tell it. People will say one thing and you can tell it's, you know, that's not what they mean or whatever. I learned this in a big way. I shared this years ago, but I was a psychology major uh, in college and I took a class and part of that class was on body language and the influence that we have and how we can learn about people just by, I mean, if you're counseling somebody, you can learn about you know, them through their body language. And then we taught, started learning about different types of things that we do with our body that communicate certain messages. And one of those things is when you show people your palms, 
it's a sign of honesty, like I'm telling you the truth. No, really, that's the truth. You ever say, no, really, that's the truth. And if people do that and they're saying that, it's really easy to believe them because their body is saying, yeah, it's true. It's, we just subconsciously see that. Well, I learned that, and I had an opportunity to see if this really works. Jennifer and I, uh, she was at Sanford in college where I was as well, and we were engaged, and it's in Birmingham, and we were driving all the way up to uh, north of Tampa where her family lived to go see them. We were driving down Highway 27, uh, going down the coast that direction to get down here, and we went through a little city called Cross City. Anybody ever been to Cross City before? Some of y'all seen Cross City before? Y'all are really missing out on a lot. Let me tell you that, okay? First of all, Cross City, look out for the cops, okay? That's, let me just say that for you, because this was my experience. I came through Cross City. I saw the speed limit. It went down. I slowed the car down. The speed limit started going up. I started speeding up, and I just kept speeding up. I really wanted to get to Jennifer's house, you know, fast. Just, we we're just trying to get there, all right? So the speed limit started going, so I started speeding up. Well, I was going fast, and there's a car came flying by me. I mean, just really just flying by me. Well, all of a sudden, I see some blue lights behind me. I think, oh, my soul, well, he's going after the, the, the person was flying. Well, he stayed behind me for some reason. It's like, what's going on here? I mean, I was speeding. So he pulled me over, and he pulls up next to me. He said, stay right here. So I thought, you know what? I think I'll just stay right here. So that's what I did. I stayed right there in the car, and he went and caught that other car. And, y'all, he must have been down there 20 minutes. He obviously gave the guy a ticket. Obviously. Came back to me, and I thought, you know what? I just learned something incredible in my psychology class about body language and honesty. So I'm going to see if it works. So I got out of the car and started talking to the cop. And I said to him, sir, we were going through this little town, and the speed limit dropped, and I dropped the speed limit. And when the speed limit went up, I started speeding again. I mean, I started going up to the speed limit. And to be honest, sir, I was talking about my fiancé. You're trying to get the heartstrings going. My fiancé, and I just wasn't paying attention and um, I'm so sorry. What well, was a lie? Okay, I wanted to get there quick. But he didn't know it was a lie. He thought it was the truth. <laughs> so you know what he said? Slow down. And he got in his car and left. And I thought, it works. Y'all, it's awesome. This is incredible. Body language communicates a lot of things. Y'all, your body language says so much. Jennifer, I, I talked to Jennifer about this because her face, her expressions on her face just communicate so many messages. They really do. Uh, disappointment in me. I'm just kidding. But they communicate. She communicates really, really well with her face. I mean, she really does that. But it's the same way for us. And what happens is some people can do things around us, things that we don't like, and our body language tells that other person, I don't like you. I don't like what you just did. <laughs> I'm, you know, and then we, we act in these ways. We don't say anything with our mouth, but we act this way, but we just said things with our mannerisms that tell people what we feel. What do we just say? I'm more important than you, and you just did something that affected me in a negative way, and I don't like it. Mannerisms, right? Y'all, that was huge, right? Second one is words. Obviously, we've talked about words. Words give away our thoughts. Have you ever heard this? You mean the first thing that you say, right? Y'all have heard that probably many times. And I would say normally that's probably the case. 
So if that's the first thing that came out of my mouth, where did it come from? What well, had to come from my head? It was in there, and that what's in my head comes from my heart, what I think and what I believe. So my words just gave away what I really think about. Is it me or is it you? Here's the other thing. Actions, obviously, we keep talking about them. Give away our passions. In other words, what I do, I do because of who I love. I either love you or I love me. I may love you and me. In fact, there might be decisions that I make because of our love for both of us, which are good decisions. But it might be uh, something very specific. I'm doing this because of my love for me and not for you you. Here's the final one. Decisions. It's a behavior. I have to decide. I am forced to make a decision about something. And the decision that I make gives away my motive. My motive is either to benefit you, or it's to benefit me, or it's to benefit both of us. My decision is going to do one of those three things. Again, when I'm a good influence, it's either to benefit you or to benefit both of us because it's a good thing, right? Hopefully that's the way it is. Or it could be a negative influence where I'm just benefiting for me. Where do I get that from? Why do I even say all this? Because Jesus used a word that talked about decisions. He called it judgments. Look at the scripture. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. You judge by human standards. I've referred to that a couple of times already today. The human standards are, again, what I get, what do I gain, all of those type of things. He doesn't judge in those ways. He doesn't judge us according to what you have or all of that to live up to that expectation. But then he said, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In other words, I do what God wants me to do. What is the right thing to do? I want you to write that question down on your outline sheet. There's a place for you to do it. Every decision that I make, I need to ask the question, what is the right thing to do? Righteousness is big time in the Christian life. This is what Jesus taught. He was teaching uh, about the, the Beatitudes, of all these different attitudes that we're to have. And this is one of the things that he said. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus, with his word, said this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for... What's the next word? You thirst for righteousness, to do the right thing, for they will be filled. When you do the right thing all the time, it always feels good to do the right thing. Always. Where you can maintain joy. This is something else that Jesus said. Jesus taught us how it is that we make the right decisions. It's all about our priorities. Look at what he said in Matthew 6, But seek first. The word first is a priority word. First, second, third, fourth, right, whatever. But seek first his kingdom. So I can see his kingdom or my kingdom, whatever. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, do the right thing according to him to help his kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. This is what the problem, this is the context of what he said this in. They were like, they were worried about what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How am I going to get clothes? What am I going to do this? What am I going to do that? And he's like, dude, what are you worried about? Stop worrying about worldly things. Stop seeking what you want for yourself. Seek first his kingdom. Not the stuff that you have. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to do the right thing according to him. Well, what is his kingdom? His kingdom is our kingdom. 
that God loves all of us, and that we're to do what we do to invest in all of us, to invest in the good of other people. Well, then it, I hate this, but I'm going to have to get personal again as I'm preaching to myself again today. Are my mannerisms, are my words, are my mannerisms saying that I've got an attitude that I love you? Are my words saying that you're on my thoughts? Are my actions saying that I'm passionate about you? Are my decisions such that I'm always wanting to do the right thing for you? Or not? That's my influence. I'm either compelling or I'm repelling. I'm either leading people to God or I'm leading people away from God. So somebody did a documentary on your life out of the spotlight. What would that life say about your influence? Are you compelling or are you repelling? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. And I'm going to ask you right now is I pray in just a moment to, for you to do the same thing. We have an opportunity this weekend, this coming weekend, to invite people who need to be influenced toward God. And it may be that you haven't been reaching out to people like you should. May our passions be for people. And may we be people who reach toward those that we know who need God this week and invite them to come to an Easter service or a, a Good Friday service or to do things for them in some way and say some word about how God loves them or do something for them to show your love for them this week, to lead them to God. May that be our life this week. But where that begins with for many of us today is getting real with God and coming clean with the fact that we haven't been compelling but repelling. That we haven't been leading people to God. That we've been giving people a false hope that if you live a life for the things of this world, that you can have joy and it just doesn't work. So I would encourage you today to confess, to acknowledge before God, this is how I've been living and it's wrong and I'm sorry. And I want to be the influence that you want me to be. As I pray, I want to encourage you to pray whatever God leads you to do. To say to him, Father, thank you so much for what you've said to me this week. And God, it is so convicting. It is, God. And God, I, I want my life not to be something where I do something because people expect me to do it because it's a job. But God, because, but to do it because I just love you and want to love on people and choose to do it whether it's a job or not. God, I know there are so many lost opportunities that I've had. And God, I pray that I would be the right influence. I pray, God, that people would be even more of a passion for me. And that I would serve you. God, I pray that you would help each person in this room today come to grips with whether we're compelling or repelling. 
And I pray, God, that we would choose to lead people to you through the words that we say, through the actions that we perform, through the mannerisms that we live out, through the decisions that we make to always do what's right to lead them to know that they're loved by you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.